Welcome to our Owen podcast, a podcast for the Ontario Animal Health Network. I'm Dr. Cynthia Miltonberg, co-lead of the Owen Bovine Network. Today, I have Dr. David Renault joining me. Dr. Renault is an assistant professor of ruminant health management at the University of Guelph, and his research focuses on calf health. Welcome, David. Thanks, Cynthia. Good so we're to be here. Oh, oh, thank you. I'm glad to hear that. We are going to talk about Salmonella Dublin today, a disease that both you and I think about a lot and get a lot of questions about. And there's been lots of, I think, research happening and interesting stuff in Ontario. So I'm hoping we can um, describe some of what's going on. Yeah, yeah, I think Salmonella Dublin's definitely been on the uh, top of mind, I think, as of late. And yeah, I think it'd be good to get some information out. So we might have producers and we might have veterinarians listening to our um, our podcast today. And so for those of us, those who don't know what Salmonella Dublin is, I think maybe we should start there. Maybe you can give us a little description of, of what it is. Yeah, maybe I'll start and you can finish off. Um, yeah, so Salmonella Dublin is a, is a bacteria that causes um, mostly pneumonia and, and septicemia, which is like kind of bacteria entering the bloodstream uh, in, in young calves and can lead to fairly high levels of mortality, especially in kind of calf rearing farms like veal or dairy beef facilities, where they see fairly high levels of, of uh, mortality as a result of it. Also, it's a zoonotic disease, meaning that humans can also get infected with Salmonella Dublin, and that can also lead to hospitalization and other kind of challenges in, in humans. So it's a yeah, pretty concerning disease, I think, out there, because not only is it affecting calves in a, in a big way, but also leading to uh, human cases of disease as well. And it's interesting because we've had this disease probably for about a decade now, but we're still calling it an emerging disease. Like it's still not, you know, highly prevalent amongst all our herds or anything. Um, we saw it beginning in about 2012 and it was introduced onto some veal operations or that's where we were detecting it initially. And with the risks of, you know, commingling, as you mentioned, the um, those types of operations, they just had such a higher risk of it being introduced. And we saw a very similar pattern of emergence in Quebec and the northeastern United States, um, New York and Michigan and other states that are kind of in close proximity to um, eastern Canada as as well. Um, how, how do cattle, maybe you can describe for our listeners how cattle become infected like where does it come yeah, from? So typically, yeah, typically I think there's a animals become infected through what we think is fecal oral transmission, where where young animals would would you know ingest feces from an older animal that's shedding Salmonella Dublin into their manure, and that would lead to the infection of of the calf or the young animal from that. I think there's there's maybe some evidence to say that that might not be the case entirely. Like there might be some respiratory transmission as well through through kind of aerosolized droplets similar to how um, you know the common cold spreads or like COVID spreads is through aerosolized droplets but we don't entirely have decent evidence to to really truly document that yet so the predominant thinking is that it's through fecal oral transmission so calves would ingest the feces of animals shedding it and then those animals become infected and start shedding it into the environment as well and leading to the infection of other young animals. And that's really interesting because, you know, we often hear from producers and veterinarians, um, like when it just kind of shows up on a farm, how did it get here? 
<laughs> because, you know, they have um, cattle, you know, transmit, they have transmission happening in the barn, um, as you described, but they don't even know how it was introduced um, initially. So do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think we're finding that on a lot of dairy farms where, you know, maybe they're closed herd, they've never bought in any animals. But I think there's lots of kind of touch points where people can come in with manure on their boots that potentially has Seminole Dublin on it and lead to, you know, the infection of their um, animals. So, you know, like maybe people picking up, picking up calves, you know, the bull calves or the beef cross calves that, that they don't need for milk production. So people coming in, handling those calves in the calf housing, and then maybe they have Seminole Dublin from another farm. Or really anybody that comes onto the farm as well can can be a, a risk factor for transmission. So I think it's really important when you think of people coming onto your farm that they don't have manure on their clothing, don't have manure on their boots, because that can kind of seed the infection in a new farm. Exactly. Yeah. And the the purchase of animals is really interesting because, you know, some operations depend on the purchase of animals, um, field, field farms. It's, you know, it's part of the system. But for dairy farms, we know it's a risk factor, surely, for, for introducing it. Um, but even then, it's it's definitely not the only only entry point. The purchase of animals kind of brings makes me think about the carrier animal, which is kind of a really important um syndrome or presentation or part of the Salmonella Dublin uh, um, disease. And it's interesting because we see these cattle that become sick. Um, They initially shed the bacteria, as you described, into the environment and recover. And then some of those animals go back to being healthy members of the herd or possible members of the herd. And some of them kind of hold on to that Salmonella Dublin. They hide it away and... It comes back at the least desired moments or they start shedding it again and are these carrier animals. I don't think we have a good understanding of exactly how many animals become carrier animals, um, exactly the risk factors that are going to predispose an animal to becoming a carrier versus clearing the infection. Um, But it's a really challenging part of the disease to manage and to try to find who they are to eliminate them. So if somebody's going to buy cattle, what's your best advice for reducing the risk of purchasing a carrier, Seminole Dublin carrier animal? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I think it's, I think it's pretty hard because it, it requires, I think, some more intensive testing to do before you're purchasing that animal, either making sure that you're buying from a herd that has a known negative Seminole Dublin status, or actually doing some type of blood sample before you purchase the animal to make sure that they're negative for the disease. But that obviously requires a lot of logistics to, to get around that, to make sure that, you know, they are free of, free from that disease. So I think it's a little bit challenging in, in, in doing that um, because you, yeah, you need to do the testing because the animals aren't really showing any clinical signs. So you can't look at it, a, a heifer or look at a, at a, you know, adult, dairy cattle and, and say that this animal has Seminole Dublin or not because they're showing virtually no clinical signs of the disease. They're like totally healthy, totally normal. So that's why you have to do this more intensive testing to really figure out if they are a carrier or not. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I hear what you're saying about the logistics because it is challenging often to have any opportunity for sampling prior to the animal arriving at your operation if you're a dairy farm um, or any other 
type of cattle operation. Um, but say if you're purchasing mature cattle, then the next best, best step in my mind would be to test them when they arrive and um, isolate them. And uh, that's not always easy on dairy operations or any operation, but I think it's really important. Yeah, I think it's really important too. And really you're trying to do anything you can to minimize the fecal contact with young calves. So you know, trying to keep them away from the calving area or keep them away from areas where they have young calves can also kind of be a solution while you wait for your test results to come back too. Yeah, that really does emphasize the what I'm going to call internal biosecurity, for lack of a better word, but something we often aren't always so great at, um, you know, washing boots even in between different groups of or age groups of animals and um, making sure that we're limiting those contacts. You mentioned the risk to people, um, and I want to go back to that. Um, and, and one other part of that is the um, uh, ability to treat these animals. So we have really interesting data from Ontario where all the isolates of Salmonella Dublin that are detected at the lab frequently go through a susceptibility testing um, at the lab. And, and granted, that is in a dish and it's not, you know, in the animal. But even then, on these isolates, we see a very, very consistent pattern of um, susceptibility on the susceptibility testing, such that most of the isolates that have been found in Ontario in the last decade are resistant to five classes of antibiotics that they're tested against. And that's not even testing against all of the classes of antibiotics out there. Um, so possibly they're resistant to more than that. But we see this really consistent pattern uh, of multi-drug resistance. And it's a similar pattern has been reported from other um, Eastern on um, Eastern Canadian provinces and states, Eastern U.S. states. So, how how do we respond to these to these detections? Like, how do we use antibiotics wisely and prudently, um, or do we use them at all? What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a that's a hard question. Um, I think. You know, as a producer, when you see something, or as a veterinarian, when you see something, you probably want to want to treat it, especially with the clinical signs that these calves show, which is, you know, signs typical of a calf with respiratory disease or a very sudden illness where, you know, they have a high fever, maybe they're showing signs of depression and all that type of stuff. So I think, you know, grabbing the bottle of antibiotics and treating the calf is probably the, the right thing to do, I think, in, in these cases, because you don't you can't really tell on farm whether it's a case of Seminole Dublin or not. But probably like you were mentioning, because there's such high resistance to antibiotics is when you grab that bottle of antibiotic, you go and treat the calf, it, that calf's pretty unlikely to respond to it. Or um, you might have to switch drug classes or, or do a bunch of different things to try and get that animal to respond. So yeah, the, the challenge with, with the resistance is that it's really difficult to treat these animals and, and have a high level of success with them. So you might, as a result, see mortality. You might see calves that are really, you know, kind of these chronic signs of respiratory disease, poor growers, all that type of stuff as a result of it. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it's pretty, pretty tough. This is a pretty tough disease to treat as a result of the, the resistance that we see. What do you think, Cynthia, like for treating? Well, I agree. I think a lot of these animals get treated with like a first line respiratory disease treatment um, be 
following whatever the herd protocol is usually that's in place for pneumonia. I hope, given the lack of response, this would initiate a conversation with the veterinarian and a follow-up um, diagnosis. If there are deceased um, cattle, then I think the, re- the best case scenario is that we get a postmortem done. The postmortems are pretty effective at diagnosing Salmonella Dublin if it's there. And once we have that information that the farm is dealing with Salmonella Dublin, I think then we can adjust our protocols slightly focus really highly on supportive treatment. There, may, there still may be a place for antibiotics, um, as just I think the protocol might shift a little bit knowing you have Salmonella Dublin rather than treating um, generalized bovine respiratory disease. And then from there, I think as veterinarians and producers, then we really have to prioritize preventative management because we really have almost no tools with antibiotics. And I really like the suggestion that you had, Cynthia, about doing the postmortems. I think that's a really important thing that I think on many farms we don't do, whether it's dairy or veal or, or beef. I think um, doing postmortems, especially in cases where you see that you've treated them, they're not responding at all to the antibiotic treatment and they die. I think it's important to do postmortems on those calves because, like you said, that's probably the, the best way that we can diagnose seminal Dublin when it's on the farm. So having your veterinarian come in, take some samples, send them off to a lab, I think is a really critical aspect to just surveilling what pathogens are on your farm and identifying Seminole Dublin and hopefully identifying it early so you can put some control measures in so it doesn't spread throughout the farm. I totally agree. And it's interesting because a lot of the control measures aren't ones that are unique or special about Dublin. They're control mechanisms for a lot of diseases that are transmitted by feces being um, moved around the facility. Um, It's the same prevention that will help you control Yoni's disease or other um, neonatal calf diarrhea um, pathogens. So um, that's, in in its sense, not, you know, too onerous, hopefully, and will be just good general management as opposed to something really unique. We, we, we discussed briefly people, and I'm going to come back to that because I don't want to forget about it. This disease is really a One Health issue because as it becomes more established in our cattle, there is a risk for people, as you mentioned, and it is a disease that can cause more severe disease in people compared to other salmonellas. Um, as well, it has a higher hospitalization rate um, and a greater risk of actually causing death in people similar similar to calves. So I think that is really important for all our veterinarians and producers to realize. Similar to that, it means that if we have Salmonella Dublin on a farm, the people handling the calves are at risk. Do you have any um, thoughts on how to mitigate that risk for, for the people on farm who have Salmonella Dublin in their calves? Yeah, I think that's a really important uh, consideration. And I know that there's you know, not just the producers that are handling cows, but also the veterinarians that are handling the calves as well. I know that there's a, I believe a case in Quebec where two veterinarians ended up being hospitalized, I think as a result of, of Salmonella double infection that they got through, was it postmortems or was it just handling the calves? I, I mean, I think it may be a combination of both. Yeah. So I think, I think it is really important, important consideration to make sure that you're taking precautions. And again, mostly it's, it's spread fecal oral. So anytime you, anytime you have feces on your hands and you know, you're working with calves, it's important to, you know, wash your hands and, and thoroughly get 
all the manure off your hands and, and your body and all that stuff to um, make sure that you're not infecting yourself with seminal doublet. But kind of additional precautions that I would take probably with handling calves is every time I would go into that facility or into the calf barn, I'd probably wear gloves. I think that's probably the easiest way to prevent seminal doublet from getting on your hands and then kind of taking the gloves off after you, you finish uh, handling the calves. And then I think also, you know, trying to make sure that you're have maybe coveralls, clean coveralls that you're bringing into the barn and maybe changing them between, um, you know, different parts of the facility too can also help. So, yeah, I think, I think there's definitely some important precautions that you should take when you're handling with handling Seminole Dublin positive calves. I would agree. And, and I mentioned before that, you know, most of the recommendations are recommendations of management for lots of diseases, but one that we do make for people, um, which might be a little bit above and beyond what they are used to doing is elevating the level of cleaning and disinfection that happens. And with that, I'm reminded of a particular human risk, which would be that if people are using pressure washers um, to do some of that cleaning and disinfection, there's a possibility that they can aerosolize that bacteria as well and then be um, exposed to it as they're cleaning. So um, that's one other route or thing that we want to pay attention for farm workers um, who are performing those cleaning and disinfection tasks to make sure that either they're doing it in a way that doesn't require a pressure washer or maybe um, at least making sure that they're really wearing good protective equipment to keep themselves safe. Yep. And then the other thing to consider too, especially for farm workers or for people on the farm is the, is raw milk. So consuming raw milk out of your bulk tank is also a potential risk factor for, for getting infected. So, you know, if you have a Seminole Dublin positive farm, you know, consider stop, you know, avoiding drinking your, the raw milk out of your bulk tank, because that can also lead to infections, especially in young children or in immunocompromised adults. Um, it can be a, definitely a risk factor for developing that disease. That's a great reminder. And it's something we need to think about long term if this um, infection becomes more established that there's just a risk with food products. We can find lots of um, reports in literature where people became infected via like raw milk or raw milk products. Um, it's important to note that pasteurizing the milk does eliminate the, the Simonella Dublin risk. Um, but there's a risk with um, undercooked meat as well if we end up with um a food, uh, in foodborne infection, that route. So, for our industry and our, you know, cattle, we want to keep that risk low by keeping the number of affected farms low as well. I think. Let's talk about screening tests. So it's become more common to employ um, screening tests for lots of different diseases. Um, here in Canada and worldwide as part of, you know, dairy programs that are encouraging health and welfare of cattle. Um, many producers in Ontario have recently received a bulk tank test telling, saying if they're low or high risk. You and I have had the chance to talk about um, how to respond to these results quite a bit. And there's been some really interesting work in Quebec looking at how we use these tests. My conclusion has been that it's a really good screening test and we need to um, probably confirm the results. So if you get 
a result back um, as part of one of these programs you, that says maybe the herd is high risk, then we want to follow up on that with our herd veterinarian and do some more work to see if that's uh, true, that the herd does have Salmonella Dublin. And if it's a negative result, we can probably be fairly confident that the milking cows contributing to that result aren't currently infected. And that is my conclusion because at this time, Ontario is still a really low prevalent, relatively low prevalence of Salmonella Dublin. But you've done some really interesting research this past year that doesn't just focus on the bulk tanks, but also focuses on the calves. I'm wondering if you could maybe tell us a bit about the research project that you've been doing and, and what the goals of that project are, and maybe share just a little bit of early results with us. Sure. So this is uh, some work that my master's student, uh, Kate Perry, did uh, this past summer in, in 2022, where she went out and, and went to 100 farms across Ontario and, and mostly focused on southwestern Ontario, but also some some uh, farms that were sampled in eastern Ontario. And what we did on the farms was we collected a bulk tank milk sample, but we also collected blood samples on 20 heifers on each farm and ran it through just a test at the Animal Health Lab here in Guelph to look at uh, Seminole Dublin positivity. And what we found was, was I think, fairly interesting. So 23 out of the 100 farms that we sampled were positive for Seminole Dublin. But what's interesting about it is only three of the farms tested positive on the bulk tank. So there's a, there's a, a big discrepancy between those testing positive on the bulk tank and those testing positive with the heifers. So yeah, three were positive on the bulk tank. 23 positive overall. So if we just use the bulk tank screening, we won't, we would have missed about 20%, 20 farms that were actually positive. So it's important to, especially when, when we're dealing with Seminole Dublin very in early, in early stages where the infection level is very, very low, I think in the lactating herd in Ontario right now, that we actually go and sample the heifers because the heifers are probably the ones that are going to be infected earlier on. And, you know, they, they haven't, yet reached the lactating herd for the first time to kind of lead to that uh, positive bulk tank uh, test. So that's why it's important when you have a, you know, Seminole Dublin or you're suspicious of Seminole Dublin, you not only do the bulk tank test, but you also combine that with sampling some proportion of heifers to make sure that they're negative, because I think they're the first kind of indicators of Seminole Dublin being positive on that farm. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And, and I, I want to point out that 23% isn't our guess of what percentage of the dairy in, in Ontario is affected. You were kind of trying to purposely find some farms with Salmonella Dublin. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So it wasn't wasn't a random sample of, of uh, Ontario farms. It was just kind of a convenient sample, meaning that we just kind of reached out to veterinarians and said, hey, we're doing this project. You know, do you have anyone interested? So it's likely that the farms that participated in this project were more more likely to be farms that were concerned potentially that they had Seminole Dublin. So yeah, the 23% being positive is definitely no, no indication of what it is out in Ontario. Um, but the, I think the lesson learned from this project is that we can't just rely on the bulk tank sample. We have to go and test the heifers because they're likely the first, first ones that will be infected and, and be positive on, on farms. And, and what else do you think you'll be able to gain from these, these farms? Are you looking for risk factors between the two statuses being negative or positive? Yep. So we, we also did a questionnaire um, involving kind of a wide variety of different biosecurity principles and practices. 
And what we found preliminarily, and, and this is still very preliminary, we haven't totally finalized the analysis, but when you have cattle that are leaving the farm, going off the farm, and then coming back, like for example, to shows and that type of thing, that was associated with the risk factor for Seminole Dublin. And we're still, again, kind of sorting through all the different things that could be associated with it, but that, that was one of the major findings that we've had so far. That's really interesting because we often ask producers, are you an open herd or a closed herd? Have you purchased? And many haven't purchased animals. They're um, In the last five or more years, they're producing their own replacements, but they are participating in activities where animals are coming and going. And that opens a risk that we aren't maybe thinking about when we're just thinking about purchasing cattle. So I'm really interested to, to hear that result. I guess maybe given our, you know, still low prevalence of Salmonella Dublin, but probably increasing based on what we've seen in the last couple of years, we have lots of farms that are negative. So we want to keep them negative in my mind. So in your mind, what are the ac- actions, the main things that are r- really that we want to um, keep reminding producers about? <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that now is the time to act. It's not we can't you know sit on it and let the prevalence slowly increase and and become a much bigger issue. So I think the the main things to consider is is not purchasing any animals. I think that's really critical. If you have to purchase animals, similar to what we talked about earlier, you know, test them, make sure they're negative. Don't buy these animals into your herd because it can be quite devastating. The other kind of important considerations is anytime that people come onto your farm, I think it's really important to make sure that they are clean. They don't have manure on their boots. They don't have manure on their coveralls or their clothing. So either providing a pair of boots, providing a pair of coveralls to people coming onto your farm, or trying to, you know, for example, if you have people picking up calves or picking up cattle, have an area or location outside of the housing environment where they, you know, you put the animals for them to be loaded so that that person that isn't, isn't coming onto your farm and potentially contaminating the pens that you're working with. So, or pens that have, that have calves in there. So I think those are the kind of really key considerations is not buying it in and then not bringing it in on, on people's boots and coveralls. I I totally agree. Biosecurity is dull until it's not, it didn't, you know, you have a breakthrough and it didn't work and then it's really devastating. So I I totally agree. We need to make sure that um, we're we're taking good actions as, as, as in all our roles, whether you're the veterinarian going between farms that you're um, changing uh, footwear, disinfecting footwear. I've read in the literature that Salmonella Dublin can survive on boots for like almost two days if they're not uh, disinfected, which is a crazy long time. Um, and just you can think of how many places you might have gone in two days if you work in the cattle industries, um, whether that's just as a producer and you're visiting a neighboring farm or you know, you're a professional who works with lots of different farms and might visit several within a day. So I think that there's, those are really good messages for all of us to remember. Thanks so much, Dave. I really appreciate your time um, discussing this. It's a really important issue, one we've been speaking lots um, about and continue to speak lots about. Lots of work to do, but lots of good work happening in your research lab um, and elsewhere with support from um, the cattle industries in Ontario who are making good efforts to educate our producers about this disease too, I think. So 
Thanks for joining us for our Bovine Owen Network podcast today. Um, for more information on the Owen Network and our veterinary and producer reports, check out our website at 